Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to this very special podcast dedicated to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Is that what we're calling it now officially? I'm, st- I'm still not sure. I'm still not sure. As we did with WandaVision and as we may do from now on for all the Marvel slash Star Wars shows we cover on a weekly basis, we have convened the pod team for a one-off pod in which we will talk about our favorite bits from the show. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. It's a barbecue. We're having a lovely barbecue <laughs> round Sam Wilson's. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and interspersed with our ramblings and, and um, general nonsense about the show, you're going to hear from time to time from the show's head writer and executive producer, Malcolm Spellman, as well. Can't say fairer than that, can you? You cannot say fairer than that. So, joining me to count down the finest moments from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier are three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello. Bit of a delay there, Helen. Are you okay? I was waiting for the Geek Queen or something else. Just just (laughs) Helen O'Hara, just my name, just like that. Oh, okay, we're just leaving it like that. Huh, we're, right. There are no yeah, titles no. here. No titles wow. here. We're all stripped of artifice. We're, ju- we're just people. We're just people. Right. That's what we are. Mm-hmm. We're just people. Please welcome the grand poobah of all things geeky. Oh my God. <laughs> Amon Warman. Oh, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and please welcome, drumroll if you please, trumpets if you have them. <laughs> For the Baron of Badassery, <laughs> Ben Travis. Hi there. <laughs> Hi. Hello. <laughs> the Baron of Badassery. Hi. Hi, everybody. How are you? Oh, dear. How are we all? We good? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. Uh, so a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks have elapsed. A couple of weeks have elapsed since the Falcon and the Winter Soldier finished its run, its six episode run on Disney Plus. And, uh, you know, I thought we'd get the guy together to have a bit of a chat about it. How do we how do we feel about the show now that the uh, the dust has settled and we have, you know, things like a brand new Captain America? That's exciting. I'm really happy that we have this new cap finally and that we saw the journey to that point I think was a story worth telling. I don't think it was the best told story in Marvel by quite a long way and I I think my feelings are kind of as they have been as we recorded the weekly spoiler specials in that it was ups and downs in a way that Marvel doesn't tend to do. They tend to have more consistency than this but as much as there were some not great lows, there were some pretty great highs and the outcome, like I'm obsessed with Sam's Captain America suit. Every time I see a picture <laughs> of it on Twitter or I scroll past it, or I've been reading the um, Sam Wilson Captain America comics mm. and it just looks so good. I know this is an opinion not shared by everybody at Empire, <laughs> including James Dyer, who wants to release Mainly the teal James suit Dyer, to cut. in fairness. Yeah. But I, I really like it. I think it looks cool as hell. I'm, mm. I'm very excited for what's coming next. Right there with you on the suit. Uh, I, I, I like the look of it too. And yeah, I liked the sort of end result in terms of where we ended up for, especially Sam. Uh, I'm really very excited about his future in particular now that he has, uh, fully accepted uh, the mantle and come into that character. It was just uh, a bit of a mess to get there. And mm. there was some frustration in that. Yeah, same. I think the, you know, a lot of the action scenes were cool. You could see the, 
you know, frankly, the money that Marvel has to invest in this stuff is is shown in the quality of the cast and the quality of the effects and the quality of uh, just the whole production. But the writing just felt up and down, the character development inconsistent, you know, it'd, it'd be slow, 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 and then suddenly rushed. Um, I feel like if if episode five had essentially been spread across the length of the show, we would be a lot happier than we are. But as it was, there were a couple of episodes that felt like they were spinning their wheels a lot. So while we ended up in a really good place, and while I still love these characters and I loved every scene of them interacting and just hanging out together, you know, I just wanted more of that. I wanted more of the characters. I wanted more of the cheap stuff that is actually mm. quite easy to do, um, relatively speaking. And that's what I, that's the only thing I, th- I felt was was really really missing. So I wanted more Sam and Bucky, and in fact I wanted more Bucky because I thought he was mm-hmm. generally underserved here. But um, but Sam was I think the driving force of the show and the person who had the biggest uh, journey to go on in this season at least. So I guess mm. that makes sense. But if they do a second season of this as well as the announced Captain America film, then I would like a bit more Bucky, please. Not announced, of course, rumored. But I'm I'm excited for that. And you know what, I'd be excited to see. If they do do Cap 4 and they do do it with Malcolm Spellman and Dalen Musson, uh, who are the writers who are uh, uh, rumoured to be writing that for Marvel right now, I'd be quite happy if it was Sam on his own without Bucky. Yeah. And Bucky oh, sure. was doing his own thing mm-hmm. somewhere but then else. I, what I'm saying is I want more Bucky at some point. I, I, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not saying it has to be in conjunction with Sam at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Bucky, you know, well, he's off at the moment, isn't he, with uh, with Pamela Anderson. So they've gone into some sort of time machine and <laughs> taken Pamela Anderson from the, I want to say, 90s and, yep, yep. Uh, and brought her forward and then told people that it's Lily James. But I don't yeah, believe that I, for a I second. Don't believe that. No, it's not. It's <laughs> no. definitely not. Now, you can tell it's Sebastian Stan and not Tommy Lee because he has miraculously found a more irritating beard than Tommy Lee had at the time, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. Also, the metal arm. <laughs> yeah, you just can't hide that metal arm, yeah. can you? But yeah, what's more believable? Seriously, what's more believable that they have taken Lily James, and we all know what Lily James looks like, and she's a you know a beautiful woman, and they've made her look exactly like Pamela Anderson, who Lily James does not look like in real life, or they've cracked time travel, kidnapped Pamela Anderson from the before times, mm. brought her to this time put Lily James into some sort of Airbnb, told her to keep stum for a few months, <laughs> filmed this, and then they're going to send Pamela Anderson, like Cap, right? Returning the Infinity Stones. So they're going to have to return Pamela Anderson to the exact point in her timeline where they took her away. That makes sense. Well, she is one of the Infinity Stones. <laughs> she may well be. Maybe this is the plot of uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. They, they make more pin particles and they're like, we have one mission and that is to get 90s Pamela Anderson into uh, into the present yeah. day to make this yeah. uh, I series. I so watch that movie. So I'm just saying, which is more believable, that, uh, that it's really, really, really great makeup or they have, they have cracked time travel and they just are covering it up because the implications for mankind are, are huge. I mean, mm. it's the pin particles. That has to be it. That has <laughs> to be it. it. It's got to be it. It's got to be it. Anyway, let's have our first blast of Malcolm Spellman. And here he is talking about not just the decision to have Sam become Captain America by the end of the show, but to actually accelerate it so that he's Captain America at the very beginning of the final episode. So here we go. Malcolm Spellman, enjoy. All that shit was methodically argued, laid out in story and positioned for what we felt like 
was maximum dramatic impact. You know what I'm saying? That last scene at the end uh, where the truck is falling um, and he props it up. We, we're thinking about that moment when we're writing episode one, two, three, four, where, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of thought that went into it. And where we landed was Sam, after that episode five, after Isaiah basically presents his biggest fears as being valid, you know, how most of the time you have to overcome your fears. Mm-hmm. Isaiah says, here's your biggest fears, right? And they're valid. They're real. It's the truth, right? So any decision you make will have to be in the face of that. Yeah. Goes home to his sister, kind of confesses that I don't know if, you know, I have it in me. Like, I wonder if I've, if all my heroism has just based and been in running away from the fight at home, which is sort of the fight of dealing with being a black person in America, right? Mm-hmm. And the sister alleviates him of that, says, you know, whatever it is, at no point did we ever think you were a coward. You know what I'm saying? You've always been a hero to us, some version of that. At that point, he's gone through his journey, right? And the suit is sitting there waiting on him. And then it would have been, I think, manipulative to hold off for that Captain America moment when we already knew we're going to have a big hero moment. We're going to have the big truck moment. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, um, or... Or, yeah, I think it's that sequencing or whatever, right? It would have been manipulative storytelling as opposed to intuitive storytelling and organic storytelling. And can I say this? Nate would probably say, and Marvel would say, you turn the guy into Cap, let him be Cap for an entire episode. You know what I'm saying? Malcolm Spellman there, and I do love his catchphrase, you know what I'm saying. He's only been on the show a couple of times. Already, he's got a catchphrase. So yeah, let's talk about some of the some of the key moments from this show. And I, yeah, I think it's fair to say that we were a little mixed on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But one of the things we were talking about off mic before we started recording this is that this is a show of great moments, which is really handy because this is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about great <laughs> moments. And for me, number one moment, the best thing in the show by far was the discussion between Sam Wilson and Isaiah Bradley in the fifth episode. Now, that is incredible. And, you know, if you're at, you know, if, if Carl Lumbly gets overlooked for an Emmy nomination for Best Supporting Actor, I can understand why, because he's only been in the show for like five minutes. But at the mm-hmm. same time, that is properly, properly mm. good acting. There you go. There's, there's, there's good analysis. Properly good acting. <laughs> That's why they pay the big bucks. I had four hours sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely agree. I absolutely love that scene. Um, I just love how direct and explicit it was. That is what that scene has over many other scenes in this series where mm. race is concerned. And yeah, I think that is how Marvel or anyone else who's working at this sort of blockbustery level needs to address topics like this and really not pulling any punches and just calling it like it is. And I think it, it works on that level. And then you add in sort of Carl Lumbly's acting, which is just incredible. Um, every time he's on screen, I mean, he's, I think, uh, he's on screen in total in the series for about 15 minutes and he doesn't waste a second of that screen time. Um, mm. he's really, really 
impressive, especially in that scene in particular. And I think after when he's introduced in the second episode, it's that was a, a good scene, but it felt like quite a rushed scene. It felt yeah. like we got there in a very quick way. It was a bit of an instance that I felt throughout this series of like characters say what they need to say for the plot or for the other character to hear. It didn't feel supernatural. Um, it, well, it didn't feel supernatural <laughs> either. But um, nobody's nipples were out for once. Um, oh my word! Oh but my god! That scene felt quite ru- quite rushed in the second episode, and you watched that and thought, "Do you know what? I really want to see a scene between just Isaiah and Sam, just for like five minutes, just like hashing this out and like talking mm-hmm. about the history." And mm-hmm. so when we got that a few episodes later, they'd wet our appetite for that, and I was very very ready for it. I thought they did like an amazing job when they got to it. I just, I really hope we see, we see more of that character in the future because mm. there's so much more of his story left to tell. You know, I was wanting to see that actual flashback with him and yeah. Bucky way yeah. back when. Um, there's so much to get into. So fingers crossed because, uh, yeah, I want to see that. There's always a danger with something like this with the, you know, with, with the things we do, which is mainly talk bullshit about TV shows and films, uh, to talk about what it could have been or maybe mm-hmm. what in your head it should have been rather than what it is. But I, I think we discussed this a little bit on the Sporter Specials that we did for the show, the weekly Sporter Specials. Can't quite remember. Certainly, I saw Caroline Sida, uh, who is a great follow on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, S-I-E-D-E, if you want to spell her surname. And she was talking about, she had a theory for this. And <laughs> I saw this posted on Twitter. I'm not kidding. 20 minutes after I'd finished interviewing Malcolm Spellman. Otherwise, because it hadn't, I don't think it really had occurred to me. Otherwise, I might have thrown this to him as a potential, is this something you talked about when mm-hmm. you were breaking the show? And she said that, you know, she feels that the show should have been about Sam and Bucky investigating Isaiah Bradley, hearing mm-hmm. something about this black super soldier who was part of this program that had been abused and treated disgracefully. And from there, that's where you dig into the show. And from there, everything else spins off. And perhaps even in, in a version of the show that does that, you know, that puts race front and center, obviously, but it also means that maybe you don't need the Flag Smashers element of the show, which I think mm-hmm. is it's probably the, the least one. successful Absolutely. element of yeah. the show. It would also tie in a bit more closely with the themes of the show. If the theme of the show is really what it is, it is like for a black man to take up the mantle of Captain America and whether or not, you know, essentially Sam should want to do so, whether America will let him do so, all of these questions, then then Isaiah Bradley is at the heart of that. And that's why it would have made sense for him to be absolutely more central to it. So I just wish there'd been more of, of all of that. The, the, the scene, as you said, in, in episode two is far too, too truncated. The scene in episode five for me is too late. I wanted yep. Sam to be wrestling with what Isaiah puts to him there for essentially most of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, rather than kind of getting past it in half an hour, you know? 100%. I guess in real time, it's several hours, but it's not much longer than that. I would have loved that if the show was about them kind of uncovering Isaiah's story, because it would feel kind of thematically resonant with Winter Soldier and Civil War as well, of like, those are films mm-hmm. about uncovering secrets, things that have been hidden, things that have been buried, and that coming to light, and how these heroic characters react to that stuff coming to light. And obviously you get an element of that here. I do also understand their kind of instinct to go, hey, it's the post-blip world, everything's in chaos, we need to kind of explore that in some kind of way. I just wish they'd done that better because there's so much potential in that. 
idea of the kind of post-split world, and I feel like we never quite got a sense of either the intimate sort of problems that people are dealing with, or the kind of macro world mm. problems that people are dealing with either other than in these like little snatched moments which never quite came together to give us a kind of full picture yeah that's that's fair uh we didn't also get a really sense of how it had affected sam and bucky both of whom were blipped mm. and what sort of chaos they came back to there are little hints and little hints at it obviously and little hints at you know their heroic status after taking part in the you know, the battle that saves the, the entire known universe. But it's maybe something that could have been explored uh, with a little bit more, a little bit more fim and figure. But who knows, maybe season two, if there is a season two, we're being very presumptuous here. We'll get into that. Uh, for the time being, though, uh, I did talk to Malcolm Spellman about that moment, about scripting that moment uh, with uh, Daylon Musson. And here is what he had to say about that. When we were mapping out Isaiah, one thing we knew was we wanted him to be the living embodiment of Sam's doubt, doubt, and we wanted everything he said to be true. And that he needed to break Sam's heart for him to, for Sam to become Captain America, he needed to come and come to face to face with what he was going to be up against. And what he's up against is everything Isaiah has experienced. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If he's going to take on the stars and stripes, that need to be embodied. And you know, we work really like that is to me, I agree with you. That is the episode five is my favorite episode. And it is my favorite episode because of what Carl Lumley did with Isaiah. And, and just like, it's hard to watch for me still to this day. You say that you wanted to come on and, and specifically do Isaiah's story. And you have that first confrontation. It's not even a confrontation, but the scene where Bucky brings Sam to his place in episode two. Um, and then it's episode five where you pick up that that strand again. Is that something that you toyed with? Did you toy with having that in an earlier episode or revisiting Isaiah? Yeah, all that got got met. You, you're playing with all that, right? Yeah. And the math on how it lands is this: what has what has happened and what has Sam been through that are going to make these encounters with Isaiah have the weight that they do. And that determines how often Isaiah appears and how he appears. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so every single thing gets litigated creatively. Um, but you gotta, you gotta know this. More doesn't always like what's the woman's name? Uh Judy Dench won an Oscar yeah. for best supporting actor with eight minutes of screen time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be the most potent and most organic and most honest first before you worry about how often a character uh, appears. Time to talk about another moment. Let's talk about what they did to the Star Spangled Man, shall we? <laughs> they, they updated it. They made it funkier. What do we make of that? Because both Amon and Ben, you have put it down. I've got you to write little lists of your favorite moments, and both of you went for that one. Yeah, we got the uh, Beyonce homecoming version, the marching band exactly. edition, uh, which is awesome. Like I, I really like that as well, because the way that this series kind of nodded towards just elements of black culture in America, like marching band culture is quite a big thing over there. And so it was really fun to get kind of that version of this theme. And then that plays really ironically with the fact that it's John Walker that they're kind of playing as he comes out onto the field. But yeah, it was just a great new interpretation of that song. And it, it felt like lived in for that universe. I love when they pull things from previous films. Like we're talking, what, like 18 films ago at this point, this like really great moment that stands out. And to then pull it into this series in this new way 
in a new style, in a way that fit really nicely with the story and the characters, um, just was great. And after yep. Agatha All Along, we wanted a song from this that we could stick on our Spotify playlist, soundtrack our summer. And mm. it's not quite Agatha All Along, but it's going on the playlist. <laughs> it it's is. A bop. That's <laughs> but it's, for sure. it's interesting as well, because it, it obviously harks back to Cap's roots as a propaganda victory rather than a, just a super soldier. And the fact that they wanted him initially as a propaganda device rather than um, as a warrior. And, and it all, so which plays in incredibly well to the whole you know, John Walker theme. Uh, but it also, I think, is is really clever in kind of nodding to or alluding to appropriation of black culture again, because the sort of the, this kind of drumline is very much associated with the historically black universities and colleges in the US. So once again, you've got this white, blue-eyed, blonde dude coming out to represent America, but, you know, heralded by a black marching band. Um, and I thought that was, a, 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 again, a really good nod to what I think the themes of the show were meant to be. Just remind me about Drumline. Watch Drumline. It's awesome. And yeah, if, if you're not going to have the Marvel fanfare, you need to replace it with something good. And this was something good. Uh, like so- kazoos. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to apologize again for the kazoos. Oh, boy. They really missed a trick with the kazoos. Uh, should we talk about John Walker, or as uh, Amon said in his notes, John Bellend Walker? Craft uh, in America is what we ended up with in the end. Uh, and one of the defining images of the show is the very last image of episode four, where Walker goes apeshit, kills that dude uh, with his shield, and he stands there with the, the Captain America shield and all that it stands for, uh, dripping innocent-ish blood mm. on foreign soil. Uh, so what did we make of that moment, folks? I mean, holy shit, right? Like that was one of the craziest things we've seen in the MCU. It was so upsetting. It was to see actual, like, I know we didn't see the guy's face or neck fully getting bludgeoned or sliced or whatever was happening with that. But to see the shield covered in blood, we don't really see blood in these movies. Like they are PG-13, 12A movies. And the way that they get around that is by making the violence bloodless. That's kind of part of the stipulations of these things. So to see such a bloody image, even, and especially on that shield as well, it hit hard really, really hard. And for me, the John Walker storyline was easily one of the most successful things about this show. I think they did generally a really good job of that. To go from him at the end of the first episode with his kind of cheesy wink to then three episodes Mm -hmm. later, he's holding the bloody shield. I mean, that was a lot. Mm. Yeah. I was in two minds about putting this one on my list because as I was watching the series and I was watching this episode when it first came out, it was a very sort of powerful, distinctive image. Uh, having sort of now had some distance with it and seen what some of the people in charge of scripting and directing that have had to say about John Walker and said image, it, it, has, it gives me questions about storytelling and intent and what they were going for with that character, especially with that moment. Because, you know, mm-hmm. if you ask me sort of the defining moment of John Walker in the series, it would be that for uh, the creators, I, I'm, I suspect it would be something different. But if we're just talking about that moment in and of itself, it's very, very powerful. Uh, it's very sort of well-directed. It's very effective. Uh, and it really sticks with you. I think the fact that it's the last scene of that episode and then the end credits, which have been sort of very lively and have, have had lively music, stay sort of really in that moment. And mm. it's very, very dark, only sort of adds to 
how effective that sequence as a whole is. It's really shocking and very, very upsetting on quite a visceral level that there was a great meme going around Twitter, which is, you know, it had a picture of Steve Rogers going, what America thinks it of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this image of John Walker, and this is what other countries think of America. And I think there, there's an element of truth to that, which again, I'm not sure the showrunners grasped, given that they said they wanted to redeem John Walker by the end. And I'm not sure that this image and that redemption really go hand in hand, quite mm-hmm. frankly. But there is, there's real, real power in this moment. And it's mostly the horror, I think, that we all felt at seeing the shield used that way. Because even though Cap kills a whole bunch of people, like a whole bunch, and not just like faceless mutant aliens, but like a whole bunch of actual humans as well. Mm. He doesn't straight up murder a dude who's lying on the floor in front of him. And and so it's- Yes, but they were all bad. They <laughs> were all bad. Yes, exactly. I think he straight up murdered some dudes on the um, on the ship in Winter Soldier, but it's it's shot from a long way away, so it's fine. <laughs> we we can't hear their screams. He straight up kills a bunch of people, but like you know, they're they're like they're there in on a sort of armed raid. They're kidnappers or whatever. Shut up. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of Doctor Evil henchmen in Steve Rogers' past, <laughs> but oh, I just can't bring myself to say he's got red in his ledger. He just can't. He's got red, white, and blue in his ledger. That's what he's oh, got. God. Oh Lord. Um, but yeah, John Walker. It is interesting that um, I think you're referring, Amon, particularly to Carrie Scogland interview. Am I right mm-hmm. in thinking where she said that yeah. uh, she that she thinks that uh, most people. Uh, their goal was to make people like John Walker by the end, and that she thinks they succeeded. And I was, I was baffled by that when I saw it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm not entirely 100% baffled by the idea that she thinks they may have succeeded, because the end of the show is very John Walker friendly. It gives him a big hero moment in episode six. He gets a moment with his wife, um, who has a name, I'm sure. I've never <laughs> she does saw. have a name. Yep, she, she does have a name. name. I'm not sure it's and, said on screen, but she does have a name. Yeah. And Fal, and in that room that they clearly had rented at great expense, at so least put every scene they could in there. And, you know, they had that, they had those, they, they had kind of hero moments from that moment where he goes, he gets the US agent moniker and he goes, I'm back, I'm back. And you're meant to punch the air and triumph for that. And I think a large part of the fact that we're not hissing and booing and throwing tomatoes at the screen by that point is down to Wyatt Russell's excellence in the role and he does make you see what John Walker is going through but I I'm like you I'm struggling with this because he is a murderer he should be punished and there's a strange thread running through both of these shows so far WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier about heroes committing atrocities and getting away with it because Mm. they people liked him in funny books yeah, I think I think there's a really I think this is one of the the areas that the show kind of messes up. So, you know, you have absolutely, you know, sympathy with him when the uh the committee, the Senate committee or whatever is is kind of stripping of, of his sorry, sympathy is the wrong word. Let me rephrase. You don't have sympathy with him, but you can see that the Senate committee that is stripping him of his rank is clearly being hypocritical at that moment, right? You can see that they are refusing to take their share of responsibility for what he is and what he did. That doesn't mean that you necessarily forgive or excuse him. It's the same as, you know, in real life, you know, a lot of these cases of military um, outrages have been because there is a culture of permitting that in the army. It's the same in the police. A lot of these police shootings are, 
if not encouraged, at least permitted by police culture. And you have to change that culture. And yes, it is bigger than one man. It is an institutional problem that we need to change institutionally. That doesn't mean that the one man did nothing wrong. That doesn't mean that the one man shouldn't be punished because the one man still failed in their duty. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like they've 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 gotten so far through the thought process and then just stopped. And it's not yeah. really quite enough to make us feel like he's been redeemed at the end because it just doesn't track. I mean, especially in terms of just stuff that happens in the series in that finale. Um, what he he pulls a truck, he stops a truck truck from falling down a yeah. hole. He falls down anyway. Sam has to serve. <laughs> like that. That's kind of <laughs> it. People, people get out first, right? So you know. Do they? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Oh, do they? Okay. I think. I think. Possibly. Fair enough. Good job, John. No, they, they all died. They all died. All of them. <laughs> But, but that is his one heroic redemptive moment when he literally bludgeoned someone's head in with the Captain yeah. America shield while the whole world watched. I just don't buy, they didn't give us enough as much as we can understand his frustrations with the system and how he's been treated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not enough from a pure, just like action storytelling perspective to be like, but that that one truck, he's, he's, he tried <laughs> to stop that one truck. Because he hasn't taken responsibility for his own actions. So and he, he can lied. absolutely he say- He lied to Lamar's parents. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He he hasn't he hasn't owned up. He hasn't taken responsibility. He isn't redeemed. He doesn't see he's done anything wrong still. Or he doesn't admit it. If he does if if he does see that he's done something wrong, we as an audience don't see that. So, yeah, no, he he's not redeemed, but um but Wyatt Russell's very good. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a 180, isn't it? It's a 180 from the previous episode where he's being set up almost as the big bad of the show and you expect him to come in and he's almost drooling with with insanity. And then he comes in and he's like, hey guys, need a hand? And he's putting Lincoln cool and it. palling around with them. And it's a little bit of a convenient 180 for me. Mm-hmm. But still, cool image. Well, not cool image. I'm mean, not like I'm rushing out <laughs> to replicate it uh, anyway. But it's it's a, the possibly the defining image of the show, I, mm-hmm. I would say. I think the Sam and Isaiah conversation is the defining exchange of the show. Maybe Sam appearing for the first time in his suit, his super souped up suit, is also a defining image of the show and a positive one. And this is a defining negative image of the show, I would say. And we do have Malcolm Spellman talking about that moment as well. So here he is. It's funny because people want to believe that you show up with a political agenda when you write, right? Yeah. And it's not that. Walker embodies a lot of shit that makes us uncomfortable, even just the iconography of him, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You, I don't have to start listing the things you think of when you think of him. Mm-hmm. But he's not just those things, right? That Like, he is actually a human being. He actually does love Lamar and does love his wife. And that is how life works. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people are, and we felt like the conversation is much more honest and active and alive if we don't cast him as a villain. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Let let him be well-rounded. And then God bless uh, Wyatt Russell for adding 57 extra layers to it. You know what I'm saying? With his performance that we could have never hoped. Shit you would have just not believed you could have achieved. You know, he achieved. But uh, but I agree that that a man with a gun and that shield using excessive force speaks to something. But if we if we have a if we showed up with a political agenda, it would just be that. Mm-hmm. Those people did kill his best friend minutes ago. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. 
And, and that's what we wanted to be careful with. We didn't want to demonize Walker. We don't want to demonize nobody with this thing. You know what I'm saying? But with, with Walker, and I want to go back to the uh, to the fight between the Wakandans and everybody in that apartment in a second. But but with Walker, that does bring us to the, the end of episode four, which is, I think, if the conversation between Isaiah and Sam is the high point of the show, the standout image for me is Walker shot from a low angle with that shield, with everything it represents, dripping with blood. I was asked something that you had pinned up on your wall from minute one, like, I want to get to this point. We knew we wanted Walker to, to go to that direction. The filmmaker, Kari, is the one who brought that to life, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And because you got to have an eye to do that, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, the books have, abs- obviously the books have covered it a bunch of different ways. I think he, at one point in one of the books, he hangs him over a balcony and, you know what I'm saying, by his throat or whatever. But yeah, we knew we knew what feeling we wanted to create and Kari brought it to life. And with Walker, did you sense, I mean, you said you didn't want him to be a villain, but he does kill that flag smasher in cold blood and he does get his ass handed to him. Hot blood. Hot blood. (laughs) But it is a difference. And the the court makes a difference because it is wrong, right? Yeah. It it is wrong, but you're not really having the conversation if you don't come fresh off Lamar. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we weren't on a Zoom, Mm -hmm. I would give you real life comparisons Mm -hmm. but it's just you know i'm saying Mm -hmm. all these factors to me make it way more complicated right like absolutely walker embodies privilege and the rage that comes from loss of privilege right Mm -hmm. but at no point has he not earned his position you know i'm saying as far as before he gets the shield he was the one of the greatest soldiers out you know i'm saying he did dedicate like we didn't want anything to not be a complete conversation. We didn't want it because then it's, then it's not, if you just demonize him and say, oh, John Walker is just angry white man, you can dismiss it because the writers and creators are being uh, political. But if Walker embodies real problems and real strengths that exist in people, then you have yourself a conversation and then it's harder to hide from whether or not we are telling the truth through that, through that character. Malcolm Spellman there with his extended thoughts on John Walker and what John Walker did to the S.H.I.E.L.D. Or should we say, of course, U.S. agent. We shall see where he goes in the M.C.U. Right. I'm on. I'm looking at your list. Opening action sequence with Falcon. Yeah. Explain yourself. It was just really cool, man. Um, All right. (laughs) Explanation accepted. Let's move on. Like, I, I think I, I joked in the magazine that, that, you know, that single action sequence probably cost as much as 60 years of Coronation Street. But, like, you know, <laughs> hey. it's not far off. Like, you, they are putting everything on screen right then. They are saying these Marvel TV shows are going to be every bit as spectacular as the movies. And there is a lot, like, it is a really well-shot, well-conceived action scene for the most part. There's a couple of things I wasn't quite clear on. Why do we care about this dude he's rescuing? Does he have any, you know relationship to anything the answer to that being no not really um but it introduced us to torres who was a really fun character pretty much instantly you instantly Mm -hmm. got the sort of vibe between him and uh and falcon you know it just it works really 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 well um and really lays down a a sort of marker in the sand i think for the show yeah for me like the thing that really stood out about it is that throughout the various films that sam wilson has been in so far 
There'll be like, here's an action sequence with various people involved and we'll have a Sam moment here and a Sam moment there to have an entire action sequence built around him and around Mm. the idea of like, he can fly with these wings. He's kind of swooping and soaring in a different way to people like Iron Man and, and Captain Marvel. The way that he moves, how his wings work. I feel like they worked all of that stuff into this action sequence. It felt super exciting. The way that he can kind of turn his flight on and off as well because of the wings. That moment where he kind of swoops into the side of the helicopter, sort of sits down next to the bad guys. I can't remember what he says, but he has like a cool sort of kiss off line in that moment. Like, it was just really great. It made me happy as well that when he does get his cap suit, um, as in the comics, he keeps the wings as well. I think yeah. there's just a lot of potential that you can do with this character who kind of has the wings and can fly around and especially the way they use the wings later in the series as well where he's kind of digging them into the ground while he's using the shield to kind of prop himself up and that he uses his sort of jetpackiness instead of having the super serum that's how he can like sort of smack people down i don't know how to do the words but you know what i mean (laughs) did you have four hours sleep as well (laughs) i wish i had that excuse i think collectively we've all had four hours sleep i had 10 oh 10 well there you go there you go that explains why you have words Obviously, Sam doesn't have the super soldier serum. That's a choice that that he has made. Uh, and he needs the wings. He needs the wings. But uh, yeah, I really like that action sequence. Uh, Amon, what was it that, that, that stood out for you? You had number three in your list. So clearly, you were thinking, yes, please. You did. Well, I had a darling. Yeah. Um- <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, you're not that up at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Helen sort of benefited covered it a lot, but the setup and then the follow through is really, really smart. The way in which they um, execute that is really, really good. And it's just a fun uh, thing to watch. We hadn't really had much of a focus on Falcon's skill set uh, in the MCU movies. We've always seen it sort of in glimpses to get like a fully fledged, this is Falcon. He is the focus of our show. He is the focus of this scene. That was just really, really cool to see. And you know, with one division, because of what they were trying to do with that show, we hadn't really got to see that kind of MCU action from for a while because of what one division was doing. Obviously, we haven't had an MCU movie for a while. This felt more like a return to the MCU action that we've come to know and love over the years. Uh, so yeah, it's just a really cool way to open the series. Yeah. Next up, Ben, you have written "Fixing the Boat." Oh man. Mm-hmm. See, th- this is like what Helen was saying in that sometimes the stuff that the show really succeeded at and could have done with more of is the kind of the quiet stuff, the simple stuff, the character things. And mm-hmm. Sam and Bucky taking the time to fix the boat was just a lovely sequence. We got to spend time with them together, relaxed, kind of talking incidentally while also talking about their kind of individual issues. And that whole notion of kind of fixing the boat and repurposing it as kind of Sam's journey to going, hey, I can kind of fix the shield, I can fix this symbol and I can maybe work on it and and make it what it needs to be through my own lens. I thought that stuff just worked really beautifully. It was a point through the series where it felt like just character and theme really intertwined in a nice way and was just like a lovely sequence that had that laid back vibe that I think we maybe expected a little bit more of through the rest of the show but you felt it in full effect here just two guys hanging out one's got a metal arm he can use it to fix the boat the other one (laughs) it is his boat and he knows what he's doing with it lovely sequence Mm. and there was cake afterwards oh lovely (laughs) (laughs) that cool relaxed banter between the two of them especially episode five where they just get it you know the, the crack about the um yeah, sometimes I forget that I have the metal arm. Uh, things like that, and the way that um, 
Bucky and Sarah meet for the first time and he flashes her that, that very winning grin and um, and she's uh, all, all a smitten, I think. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know that there was potentially something exploring that or a little a couple of extra scenes about that but uh, be it'd be interesting to see if they if they do go down that path in a subsequent season i just love with episode five which is the episode we're referencing a lot here the fact that it was just they simplified things and that allowed the things that needed to breathe to breathe i just wish that they done more of that in the series but like the that episode in particular was just really really great for that and that's the reason why it's the best episode in the in the, in the show yeah it has so many of my favorite moments mm-hmm. are in that episode there's the really good fight between sam and bucky and john walker at the beginning of the episode and there's that really lovely scene between bucky and simo in sokovia as well and we actually have malcolm spellman talking about that if i recall correctly so here it is Bucky and Zemo were always headed towards that moment. We always knew it was coming, right? What maybe wasn't coming across in the writing, Zemo's considering killing Bucky too. This whole series and the whole time you see him, he's thinking about killing Bucky. He he makes an exception for Steve. Steve is the one exception to my philosophy. Bucky is not. What he decides about Bucky is, Bucky was not pursuing supremacy. Bucky is a victim, right? And he also knows that him and Bucky have a reckoning coming, right? Mm-hmm. And for him to like, can he mastermind that he's going to be blowing up a truck at the end of the series, right? No, but I think he was not unaware that Bucky is aware of this sort of collision course too. And part of Zemo's journey was to have that out because of their history, because of the manipulation of Bucky's mind, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Zemo sort of having that's if, you know, if he's having a reckoning and a, uh, a redemption, not a redemption, but a absolution of absolution of his sins, mm-hmm. it is with that moment with Bucky. So that's Malcolm Spellman talking about the Zemo and Bucky scene. But there are also other lovely moments. We talked about the Isaiah and Sam sequence. That's in episode five as well. And there's just the, the bonding between Sam and Bucky and not just fixing boats and flirting with sisters. It's it's that moment where Sam manages to get through to Bucky in a way that Bucky's expensive government-appointed psychiatrist doesn't. Still gets a goodie bag at the end, of course, uh, for her work. <laughs> uh, and the way that that whole training montage serves to kind of reinfigurate Sam a little bit, who who's obviously in the first few episodes, he's kind of reeling from this decision he's made and you know and the consequences of the decision he's made to pass on the shield and to pass over the the chance to become the new captain america and this is the episode where he finally decides you know what in for a penny in for a pound mm. i'm gonna go for it and it's it's all it's all there in that really lovely scene between the two of them yeah. uh, near sam's house and, and there's also that really important i think acknowledgement uh there that uh bucky and steve had not properly understood what they were kind of asking of sam um, in, in when Steve gave him the shield. And I think that was a really important moment as well. I thought that was really nicely played. I think you really felt in that sequence as well, just 
this is why these two characters are together that they are kind of they each have very individual issues that the other one can kind of help them with that sam with his background of helping war vets with ptsd is like he is the perfect person to kind of help bucky reintegrate and sort his life out a bit and bucky as the guy who was steve's closest friend who knows exactly what captain america should be is the perfect person to help sam get to that point as well so i think you just really felt there as much as it's fun seeing these guys kind of bicker and banter together and to see them in fight scenes together that on a character level these guys really work together because they can each offer the other one what they need to help them kind of move forward yeah the show was at its best when it wasn't manufacturing this rather limp banter between the between the two of them when they weren't being antagonistic towards each other when they when they settled into that lovely friendship it's a wide lethal weapon too is better than lethal weapon all right because so the Riggs and Murtaugh dynamic is based off friendship and real love by that point rather than oh I don't like you because you're a loose cannon well I don't like you because you play by the rules See, and you know it's still it's just uh, it's a great film obviously but Lethal Weapon 2 is far far better and that's the official Empire stance on that uh, <laughs> Hells Bells do you have a, a sequence that you wanted to point out I know you didn't write a list but because uh, you were frankly well, lazy I was busy with other things. I didn't write man. a list. You didn't write a list, exactly. Um, uh, how about, we sh- We haven't talked about the Dormelage yet, and I feel like that's no, been we well have overdue. Not. Come on. I, f- I feel this is a, a Mons number one, yeah. As a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As a lawyer, I have to argue, or quibble at least, respectfully quibble with their claim that they don't need jurisdiction. Yes, they do. However, I'm willing to allow it, because I don't want to fight ever with them. <laughs> Um, but it is, it's bloody brilliant to see them in action again. It is excellent to see them taking on um, all comers, essentially, and uh, and just taking them apart. And, uh, and I thought it was an incredibly effective scene on a character level, on a sort of political level, on a storytelling level. Uh, I just thought that that moved things forward so much when they came into the picture. And it also makes sense that they would. You know, this is one of the things, if you're going to have this incredibly interconnected Marvel universe, you're going to have all these questions, you know, where is Doctor Strange when Wanda's doing all this stuff? All these questions where come up. Where is Doctor Strange? Okay, but he's, let's assume he's <laughs> off in a different, you know, universe right now, it's fine. But... There, there, is, there would be, if they hadn't turned up, there would have been a genuine question about what do the Wakandans think about this? Come on. Zemo killed their king. Isn't that an issue for them? And I, I love that the show had the wit and had the, the skill to address that. And I think do it really well. And, and it makes sense, again, just on a whole raft of levels, you know, there's a tie there to uh, Bucky raft. in particular, no, raft. Uh, <laughs> but there's a, there's a tie there to Bucky as well. It would make sense that they might have a continuing interest in him. Um, there's that, that little tiny flashback scene back to him kind of getting past his conditioning was I think incredibly important. I, I just think it worked super well. Regardless of any pesky laws, uh, oh when that Dora wow. said, uh, what was the line? The Dora Milaje have jurisdiction whatever the Dora Milaje find themselves to be. Your when Honor. she said that, <laughs> whoo, I was like, okay, it's about to go down. And then John Walker makes the mistake of putting a hand on the door, which is just something you should not do. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, I love that scene. No scene in this show has given me more joy than that one. I just love watching the door because we haven't really seen the Dora as the elite warriors they are since like 2018 mm. um it's been a long time and it was just good to be reminded of mm. that and in addition to that you know it's just funny as well like <laughs> when 
Bucky is just watching on set, just says, looking strong, John, as he's getting wet. <laughs> it just made me laugh so much. It's just great. Um, so yeah, I, I completely love that scene. That sequence is one of my favorite moments in the entire series as well, which is uh, where Bucky's arm falls off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the five-point Pam exploding arm technique. It really is. Now, there was, it was quite the Twitter uh, discussion mm. about that one. I think Ben uh, actually said it on the episode of The Pod, but... Bucky's arm doesn't come into the picture until there's war on the horizon in Infinity War. Um, before then, Bucky is very happy, you know, being armless and just chilling in Wakanda, as he should be. He's in Wakanda. Of course he's happy. Um, uh, so I, I imagine that were, uh, not, were uh, Thanos not to have uh, clicked his fingers, I could see Shuri and T'Challa taking that arm right back off Bucky post-battle. Uh, but obviously that is not what happened. Just going marching um, up to going, that's ours. And just, well, oh, yeah, no, I, mean, I like it. Over. Go, my you arm. Know, arm back, please. You know? <laughs> They've got the receipts. They have I, the I receipts. Don't know, yeah, I don't know that they're quite that uh, parsimonious with their uh, with their gifting, <laughs> yeah, to be honest. I don't, think, I don't think it's like a, you know. It was, it's a weapon for war. The war is no. done. Give it back. It's an arm for picking things up and throwing things and it's living his life. He's arm, you'll be fine. You abs, you're a monster. <laughs> I'm usually the one who gets accused of being a monster in these podcasts, but that you just want to take the dude's arm for no reason. Unbelievable. At least Rocket Raccoon had a reason. He just wanted yeah. that arm. He just wanted that arm. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I think that moment's really, really funny. I did see the, uh, the, 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 the discussion that blew up on Twitter about whether the Wakandans should have even had the right to put a failsafe in the they arm that they justified. built for him. And, whether or whether even the Rakandas had the had the right to put a failsafe into the arm that they built for him, which they absolutely did, um, <laughs> in my opinion. I'm sure, I, I don't know whether international law covers that, but we've already established <laughs> they don't give two figs about international law, so it's all fine. It still doesn't matter. You still, it still affects you, even if you don't give two figs. That's all I'm saying. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but also... The fact is that Bucky Barnes is the Winter Soldier and he is a formidable foe who has gone toe-to-toe with many people and killed many, many more people in the past. (laughs) And if I had a way of neutralizing him to some extent, then I would. The interesting thing about Bucky in this show is, you know, Sam's journey is clearer i would say than bucky's journey Mm -hmm. you know sam's journey is from the person who as we said turned down the chance to have the shield and the mask and the and wear the flag and then by the end of it he is captain america bucky's journey is a little bit more ephemeral in a way it's it's about still being the winter soldier but absolving himself of any of the guilt i think that comes with being the winter soldier and as a result of that i think as a result of that, one of the things about him is that we don't really see him in full-on ass-kicky-kicky mode because he's trying to bury that part of himself deep, deep, deep inside. And we don't really see that apart from that opening flashback where he is mm. the Winter Soldier and he kills those dudes in that flashback, including Yuri's son. And I do wonder if they're going to try a find to find a way of making him full-on Winter Soldier without triggering the Winter Soldier in subsequent whatever. Subsequent whatever films, TV shows, whatever. Yeah, I, I do think it's kind of... I, I did expect more of that, especially when we saw him pretend to be the Winter Soldier in the bar in Madripoor. I thought there might be a bit more of that 
conflict in Bucky uh, and the and his his worry about to what extent he is the Winter Soldier, to what extent he is somehow responsible for these uh, these events. And uh, I think that could have been much, 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 much more developed than it actually is in the show. And I think it's a pity that we didn't get more of it. But in terms of his arm, I, th- I think it makes total sense. I mean, the Wakandans are very proportional, by the way. Like, they only disabled the arm when he was raising a hand to stop them. They didn't take it with him, them. They left him, it to him. They just made mm-hmm. it clear you don't get to because use that on Because of international loss. I get look. I'll I'll draw you a flowchart sometime, Chris, and we'll explain it. But but no. But I think they are absolutely proportional and absolutely charitable at the same time. I think they're they're look. You can have this arm. That's cool. We we mostly fight on the same side. We believe in you as a good person, but you don't get to mess with us. And that's hundred percent proportional and reasonable and uh, and rational. So yeah. But but I did want more of Bucky's kind of dilemma, because I think this show does lean into the kind of core Bucky, who is a very good guy. I mean, he wasn't Steve's friend for no reason. Um, He was a a guy who has had some super soldier serum of his own, and it has not made him a bad person, actually. Brainwashing may may have done, but the the serum (laughs) did not. The serum has not, and they, they had to brainwash him because the serum didn't do the job if that was what they were going for. So I think, you know, he is clearly at core as good a person as Steve, pretty much, or as Sam. But we don't really see that dilemma played out, and I think that is a bit of a lost opportunity in terms of the drama of the show. In fact, I'm delighted to say that we actually have Malcolm Spellman talking about the Wakandans and their failsafe and Bucky's arm falling off and all that stuff. And you're going to hear that, and then we're going to go into an extended riff on Bucky and how they approached Bucky and where he was emotionally in this show. But first, as I say, it's Malcolm talking about the decision behind Bucky's incredible detachable arm. Enjoy. That's Zoe. uh, Nate's partner, Zoe from Marvel. Uh Whole thing. Acted it out. Told us why it was in there. Did the hand gestures, even with some kung fu sounds. But yeah, absolutely, right? Like, what you want with the Wakandans is an awareness. You can't say these people have superior tech to Stark, vibranium, but not the capacity to forecast on the level of someone like Zemo, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, they would have that in there. And I, I did want to ask just very quickly about, about Bucky, about Bucky's story and how you locked into his story. Sam and his goals, as we said, you know, we figured he might finish the season as Captain America holding the mantle of Captain America. Was it harder to lock into Bucky, what Bucky wanted and his emotional goals? No, we were clear on him. I feel like it's all there. We wanted to take, it's disturbing what Bucky did throughout his life become disturbing when you find out he what he did to the Stark family, right? Yeah. Because... It's on video, you're like, oh, fuck, you really were a killer. And a part of you really was there. So we knew that journey. We had Yuri be the personification of all Bucky's sins and whether or not Bucky's going to overcome that. Bucky going on this journey where he's gone from one fight to the other, but also thinks avenging can absolve his sins when it can't. Only the men's can. Even Zemo is the first true step to amend for him. All the other shit he's doing is avenging. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
And that's not that's not getting him anywhere. Forgiving Zemo and not killing him for what he did to him is the first and not doing anything to him because Wakanda was going to get him for no matter what anyway mm. is the first step to Yuri. And we knew we wanted Bucky post that to have his first hero move. Like every him to say this, I'm being long winded. All our lead characters walk into this series in a state of being with one with an identity and they all leave with a new identity. And Bucky walks in with all that uh, Winter Soldier baggage and torture. And by the end of this movie has had his first hero moment ever in our Marvel Universe and ready to become a hero. His first hero moment is not his first heroic moment. His first hero moment is when he saves the G, the GRC people yep. and they get watch, watch that scene again. And they say, thank you. You saved my life. That's the first time Bucky's ever been treated like a hero. Back to you, Amon. And number 10 on your list, surprised it's so low down, is Sam's big monologue. And this is where he announces to the world that he is Captain America. I really, uh, on the whole, sort of like the speech, obviously, so my list. Um, the, the, there's a couple of sort of, you know, lines I take issue with, like the whole, like, don't, don't call them terrorists. I, I get it to an extent, but these guys did do terrorist things, you know, they kill people. They are, you know, it's, it's not false to describe them that way. Um, I think the thing I take away from it most is just how Sam is a different kind of hero to what we've seen in the MCU. I'm just thinking of sort of the characters in the MCU we have now and who I could see making a speech like that. And I'm really struggling uh, for anybody other than Sam. This is why on the previous part, I was like, I'm sure that leadership is in Sam's future because when I see speeches like this, you know, it's clear that he has those qualities and it's clear that he would be a character that others would want to follow. Um, uh, just in terms of the way he acts, not only with that speech, but in terms of, you know, the way he, fights and the way he acts in this entire series in terms of trying to de-escalate, trying to understand, trying to come to a common understanding with the people who everyone else is trying to fight and trying to use their brawn to take down. Um, and I think that final monologue is just the best example of that. And I think a glimpse into Sam's future. So, so yeah, I love it. Yeah, having a hero who um, kind of doesn't condone the actions of the bad guys, but says the bad guys had a point and you government people need to sort your shit out and like listen to the issues that they had, it does feel pretty distinct. And it feels kind of aligned to the difference between Sam and Steve, even in the comics, that like when Sam takes on that mantle, he speaks out on certain like partisan issues that becomes this like lightning rod moment. So I like the way they've kind of interweaved that into, into the show here. I think as well, it showed the difference between when the government picks a Captain America to be a tool of the government, aka John Walker, it goes very, very badly. But what Steve did when he was unfrozen from the ice and what Sam is doing now is holding the government to account for the values mm -hmm. that America should hold. Mm -hmm. And I like the... The way that that came through, that it wasn't necessarily kind of hammered on, but you very much feel that in the way that Sam deals with that situation, that he is, yeah, holding the government to account, telling them what they should be listening to, rather than just being kind of their pawn to go and 
kick this person in the face. Go and fight these people. This is America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got the shield, which is what John Walker's whole bag was. Yeah, I do think I, I almost wish I, I almost wish they'd gone a little bit further with that. You know, in the comics, Sam wasn't uh, a military officer. He was a community organizer, a social worker, and you kind of almost wish when I was listening to that speech, you kind of were like, I wish they'd gone a bit further with that. I think it would have been um, quite powerful to have him really not hold back because he doesn't, he kind of asks them for the status quo. He kind of asks them to get back to the status quo. He wants, you know, he doesn't want them to to kind of close borders and repatriate people, but he doesn't specifically that we see in that scene you know, demand better conditions for those living in these in these camps and so on, and demand mm. you know a solution in the short term. So, so you kind of almost want them to be more radical. Maybe this is me being a big lefty, as you know. But uh, you I a big old lefty? No, it You've sounds impossible. So well. <laughs> I, it sounds impossible. You could say that about the entire show. Yeah, hundred percent. I just think when when it comes to matters like these, especially when it comes to race, you know, they're still. You know, this this wasn't sort of all the way terrible on it, but there's still many notches on the ladder uh, that the MCU can ascend to when it comes to how they're talking about these things. And the good thing is that, you know, Sam's story is far from over and they're going to have more cracks at it. Uh, and again, I think where the show was really sort of firing was when it was being explicit and direct rather than being implicit and not really engaging with what it was showing. Um, the more it can be explicit in the future, uh, the better uh, it will be, I think. One more blast of Malcolm Spellman then, and we actually have him talking about everything that went into crafting that speech, Sam's speech, his first speech to the world as Captain America. And it took some writing, folks. Here we go. Enjoy. That was an eternity. And a ton of that was me working with first Marvel kicked me in the ass, you know what I'm saying? A million times. Then I had to work with Anthony because he has to believe it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so me and Anthony were on the phone for hours going through that thing and massaging it and, and, and just going back and forth with it because it, it, it had to be because we're both black. It couldn't be anything neither one of us believed. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, um, and it definitely couldn't be anything that Sam didn't believe because some of you know Sam's DNA is sticky with Anthony's in real life. You did you know that? You know Anthony's from Louisiana, mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. right. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. none of that was done by accident. So we worked very, very hard on it together, worked very, very closely with Marvel. And I definitely knew that I didn't want his big I wanted his big cap moment to reflect that this Captain America, if we, one of the things we approach this thing with, if you look at the blip creating something that feels like a global crisis, very familiar to the global pandemic, global warming, global collapse in uh, equity, financial equity, all that, right? Mm -hmm. That We want that to feel like that. Most of the world, even people in the richest countries feel like they're struggling, right? Yeah. Who understands struggle better than a black man from the South in America. You know what I'm saying? And if most people feel like they're struggling, then one thing that makes this cap unique with no super serum, with no blonde hair and blue eyes, we can look eye to eye and trust me, I feel you. And that's what we wanted to sort of showcase for him. You know what I'm saying is, mm -hmm. this is a cap that is like, Steve Rogers was for the people, but 
it's it's an older story. It's for the people meant he's the skinny underdog that gets beat up, right? Mm -hmm. The world has become much more sophisticated and complicated, right? For the people needs to mean something different. And I think a black man having a shorthand with everyone of every race, including poor working class white people, if you are struggling, you know when this Captain America lands, y'all got a shorthand and he feels you. So that was Malcolm Spellman on Sam's big speech as Captain America. And we've just got a couple of last moments to tick off our list. And both Ben and Amon, you have chosen a the same moment. And it is Sharon Carter, everyone's favourite character, the power <laughs> broker, apparently. <laughs> apparently she's the power broker, wrecking some thugs or hitting guys mm. with a pipe. Yeah. Yeah, that she was a good really fight whacked scene. those guys. It was a great fight scene in a way that mm-hmm. we I feel like we haven't really seen her do that much of the action stuff. I mean, that's the thing. We hadn't seen her do that much of anything really in the MCU so far. Mm-hmm. And I am not particularly sold on the power broker thing. I don't think that had enough impact and what and what are the consequences of that, which I mean, I guess they've left that hanging for potential future story threads. But yeah, this moment where we see Sharon properly spring into action, taking out three guys with a massive pipe like properly kicking some ass was really really great um it was just a really punchy action beat that was the kind of action that i maybe expected a little bit more of in this series it felt a bit more of a piece with the punchy hand-to-hand combat that you get in the winter soldier and in a lot of uh, civil war as well that yes we get the big superhero stuff we get sam's opening aerial action sequence but we get people hitting each other in the face really hard and that you watch it and go oof, ooh, that hurts and I definitely got that at various points through this uh, Sharon versus three henchmen fight. <laughs> was it three? It felt like more than three. Yes, yeah, loads of people. She sure broke their power. That's for sure. We should have seen it coming. She was the <laughs> leg breaker. The leg broker? I don't know. Anyway, let's not talk about that reveal. Let's talk about that sequence instead. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well done, Sharon Carter. Why you were beating those people up when presumably they worked for you is not entirely clear, but okay. That's, that's probably that's, what they were saying. They're like, what? Why me? What are you oh, doing? No. You texted me to come here. And now- <laughs> I'm reporting this to HR. Oh, no. There is no HR in uh, uh, Madripoor. It's a lawless no, place. There's just a couple of hours and a, a load of O's. Wow, that's terrible. Four hours sleep. Look, I cannot stress enough. Four hours sleep. <laughs> Amon, you sent through a list of 15 things. 15 things. And can I just think, I've just noticed, I'm looking at them here now. SEMO is not in any of them. Does that mean that you are a SEMO agnostic? Are you on the fence about (laughs) SEMO? Do you hate SEMO? Why do you hate SEMO? What's he ever done to you? Because he killed my king, for one thing. That's just, you know. (laughs) Just let it go, man. Let it go. It was an accident. Yeah. No, I... I'm in two minds on Zemo. Like, I think Daniel Brühl is, is great. And there were elements of the dynamic with Sam and Bucky that he had, uh, which were fun to watch. But, you know, again, I prefer the tone that he had in uh, Civil mm. War. Mm-hmm. And this was such a break from that, that it just, the, 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 the two uh, sort of, interpretations of the character really didn't gel and as much as the one hour loop of him dancing uh which marvel put on their youtube channel was fun in the show itself that really did not work for me i did not need to see that character doing that in in the show just to have him be if if he's done the things he's done if he has the history he has 
it's okay to just lean into that mm. rather than have something fun and have him quipping with Bucky and Sam all the time just because it's, you know, fun to watch and they have a fun dynamic. And I think Marvel sometimes make that mistake. I would just, for instance, in this instance with Zemo, I would rather they have lent into the villainy and sort of stuck to the tone of Civil War more than what they did here. Mm. I, 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 that's fair. You've, 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 you've won me around. I thought Daniel Brühl was, uh, was excellent. Yeah, no, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of yeah. his. He's great. But there are there are concerns with how it's slightly undermined his slightly undermined his his backstory and just you know his origin in Captain America Civil War and uh, but I have to say for, for for all of it I really loved his dynamic with Sam and with Bucky I, I would have happily seen more of that and I do get the feeling there was maybe potentially plans for a different resolution for him as as well but for, for me it was worth it for the three seconds that he wore his mask. <laughs> yeah. you just you could you could just almost feel someone watching this you know someone watching the rushes going keep it on keep it on keep it on good we have a toy right <laughs> so cynical but also true yes. <laughs> uh okay i think we are pretty much done and dusted uh now we've talked about simo there's nowhere else to go really from this point on um the cake what kind of cake was it where can i get one does sebastian stand deliver personally <laughs> i mean it looked like an oreo ice cream cake i think but you know yeah. my other questions stand yeah. very much also, Sam's nephews hanging off Bucky's arm for like yes. two seconds. That was, was a great cool. moment. Super good. Sam's nephews play, playing with the shield. Oh, um, yeah. Oh. That was great. Uh, I think I tweeted at the time, there's a moment, the very end of Black Panther, before we get into uh, the mid-credits thing and what have you, um, has that young kid, I think from Moonlight, actually asking sort of T'Challa, uh, who are you? And that, that, that sort of had yeah. the same energy as... There's nephews looking up at the shield, and that really worked mm. for me. What's interesting about that is that that feels to me like a moment when Sam really makes his mind up that I'm going to be Captain America, because I think he sees in that moment, there's a lot of talk all the way through the show about what the Stars and Stripes and what the shield mean to a certain generation. And I think he sees in that moment what it what it means because of Steve Rogers, because of what Steve Rogers has made it for this generation, and what it can be. For a young generation as well, especially now he sees you know the two young black kids playing with it, and they're absolutely in awe of it and in awe of what it stands for. I think he goes, okay, yes, I can do this. I can, I can be this, and I can, you know, I, you know, despite what I say, I said to me earlier on, I'm going to take that challenge and meet it head on, which is a very Steve Rogers, Captain America thing to do. And I think one of the things about Sam in the show is that he's this wonderful blend of himself and his own personality and and Steve. Without being too much Steve, without without overegging the pudding, without simply being a carbon copy, he is very much his own man, very much his own Captain America. But there's there's just enough of Steve in him. I mean, the same qualities as Steve. Yeah, the same yeah. qualities. I don't mean literally bits of Steve. Um, although you don't know, I'm not ruling it <laughs> oh, out. No. Um, I, I am. What? I've got to go ahead and rule that out. <laughs> I don't know, just maybe you know an arm or something. I don't know. Um, if Steve was donating an arm, who yeah. would he donate an arm to, Chris? Out of the two named characters in this show, <laughs> title characters, which arm is it? Steve's which arm? arm. It's a which left arm. arm. It's... He's donating a left arm. Well, if it's his right arm, he's then Bucky's fucked, isn't he? <laughs> so I've already got one, mate. Thanks a lot. Thanks a bunch, Steve. Anyway, 
Uh, just a couple of last very, very quick things to talk about. Um, ben, I know you wanted to talk about the statue that Isaiah gets at the end. Yeah, that was such a beautiful way to resolve that story. And again, it tied into Sam's journey of what kind of Captain America he is going to be. He's going to be the person who gives a voice to people who haven't had a voice and to make sure those stories get told. And it was so emotional. Again, we've spoken a lot about how great Carl Lumley's um, performance was, but him seeing that statue in the Smithsonian, seeing that kind of um, memorial, seeing his story being told just is such a, a gorgeous moment and one of the absolute high points of that last episode for me yeah no I, I thought I thought I thought it was really really good and I just think it's a beginning of correcting the history and um getting rid of some of the whitewashing and getting rid of some of the uh the, the secrets you know it's it's I mean obviously there's a debate in real life going on at the moment over the uh 1619 project for example and it I think very much mirrors that in the show's kind of world and chronology. And Amon, you wanted to. Is there anything else that you want to talk about uh, to wrap up? I mean, looking at your list, we haven't talked about Bucky is the white man invited to the cookout final sequence. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about Welcome to the MCU, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Yes, uh, uh, I think that's. I think it's pretty much all we've. Yeah, we, we mentioned pretty much everything else. I think is on your list. But is there anything yeah. that really stands out for you? I also really like the conversation in episode one between Sam and Rhodey. Um They mm-hmm. are sort of the two premier or two of the premier black heroes in the MCU now, especially if we're not talking about Wakanda. And it was just good for, we haven't really seen the focus on just those two characters, uh, really sort of bonding and chatting about life, about heroism. Um, That's something I really want to see more of going forward because that conversation Mm. really sort of hit the spot for me. me. I was actually hoping we might even see Rhodey in the final episode. Um, Obviously that didn't happen. Um, but mm. I know Vody's got his own show coming up. Uh, I suspect that you know they will have big screen appearances, both of them, on the way as well. I just want to see more of those characters together. It might have made more sense that he showed up at the end rather than Sharon. You know, when when Sam right. goes, I've I've called I've called backup, and it's like Sharon, Re- yeah. really? <laughs> Sharon is your backup? You know, <laughs> Avengers do. <laughs> it would have been nice to at least see him watching on TV, even if he was, you know, somewhere far away and couldn't be right. there. It would have been would, like that. That they could have shot that almost on the same day as the first bit, and mm. and you kind of would have felt it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, they had that and Don Cheadle credit in the opening episode, and then it was just an, a blank wall space for the oh. rest of the episodes. Such a shame. Such a shame. I'm going to finish off with this. This is the one thing Malcolm Spellman pretty much shot down immediately when I was trying to get him to engage with where Steve Rogers was. <laughs> so what does that mean? Have they killed Steve Rogers? And just, yeah. you know, chopped him up. And- no, it's just in a cabin somewhere, not the one that wanders in, just a, a cabin somewhere, just living his life. Not the one know, that Thanos was in. Not the one that Thanos was in. Not the one that the Hulk was in. Maybe the one that the Hulk was in. Um <laughs> But just he's just he's just living his life. He's on a farm, you know. Living his best life. Yeah. I imagine oh. somewhere he was watching Sam give that speech. I would have loved to have seen it, but it would have been a very expensive five seconds. So I get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got the money, Marvel. Do it. Um, we do have the money. Yeah. You know, just back up a, a truck full of gold bullion to Chris Evans' house and. Uh, <laughs> And there we go. They could have just cut him out from the scene on the bench in Endgame, just cut around him of him smiling yeah. and nodding and then just like yeah. superimpose him into like a bar somewhere watching yeah. that speech on the TV. Or just cut in footage from any of his movies. 
Any of his movies. Like, that is actually hilarious. Yeah. yeah, why not? Why not? With a bit in not another teen movie where he spoofs the Varsity Blues yeah. whipped cream bikini. Whipped cream, yeah. Yeah. I remember it. Just, yeah. Yeah. You remember it, Helen, do you? Yeah. It's weird, yeah, yeah. It's so weird. Genuinely so weird. exciting. It's, it's on the wall behind you there. Uh, so one anyway. why we aren't all filmmakers. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, that is it for this very special, and I use air quotes uh, for around both of those words, uh, episode of the Empire Podcast. But that is now, that's what I call the very best of now. That's what I call Sam and Bucky Volume 3. It is all done, folks. And I think the next time we'll be in the room doing something like this, we'll probably be looking forward to Loki and talking Ooh. about what that may well be and what that show could be. And what it could be right now where I'm sitting is very exciting. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed on that one. Obviously, we have the regular podcast out every Friday. And if you do not already subscribe to our spoiler special channel, do strongly urge you to do so. It's just £2.99 a month or £32.99 for a year. You get loads of spoiler specials every month. 850,000 spoilers. No, wait, sorry. You get a, a number of spoiler specials every month. We do TV shows like Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision and The Mandalorian. We do films as well. Big old films and films coming up over the next few weeks include Without Remorse, The Mitchells versus The Machines, and Sound of Metal also. So I, we, we run the gamut, folks. We run the gamut. Empire is a broad church and then some. But anyway... However we meet you, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, squadcast names, the star-spangled Ben with a plen. P-L-E-N. It works. Yeah, kind of. Okay. The star-spangled Ben with a plen. He's gone all South Africa. And we're back to Lethal Weapon 2 again, folks. We're back to Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, it is goodbye from the Dora Malaje have no jurisdiction Correct. among women. Peace. Uh, it is goodbye from Fleeg Smasher. I was kind of going for the Northern Irish flags. Flags. I wasn't sure how to spell that. You know when there was a big fuss in Northern Ireland about flags a couple of years ago? There was a big fuss in Northern Ireland about flags? I'm, I, know, I must have missed seem, that. It doesn't seem like us, does it? <laughs> no. So I'm, I've gone for Flag Smasher. Flag Smasher, so flag you are. Flag Smasher. Flag Smasher, so you are. Lovely. Lovely bit of Flag Smashing. We didn't talk about the Flag Smashers now much, but to me. Which well, probably no. tells you a lot about that storyline, if you ask me. Anyway. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. Tool of the government which is what John Walker's name should be instead of US agent, because that guy is a fucking tool of the government. Am I right? High five. Oh, wait, it's virtual. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.